0: You're listening to The Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am your host, Summer Gilbert, and I am the Director of Marketing and Branding here at Pacific Companies. And my co-host today is the one and only Mark Scarlatta. Mark is the Director of Permanent Recruitment here at Pacific Companies. And he is the one who got us in contact with the wonderful doctor that we're speaking to today. Today on our Providers Perspective series, we're talking to Dr. John Hines. Dr. Hines is a talented electrophysiologist currently working out of Virginia. Dr. Hines, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. And Mark, a quick shout out to you. I know you are the reason that Dr. Hines is on the podcast today. So thank you for building that relationship. And I'm excited to have you as a co-host.
1: Happy to be here. Thank you, Summer.
0: Dr. Hines, let's start out with why cardiology and more specifically, why did you choose electrophysiology as your subspecialty?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, and it, it's interesting because when I became interested in electrophysiology, it was still a, a well-established um, subspecialty, but at least through my training was not a very um, well-known sub uh, subspecialty. I think it may have been in part um, because of where I did my medical school training, although we had a very big, um, medical institution where I trained there, and there was cardiology and interventional cardiology fellowships. There was not um, an electrophysiology um, fellowship and this was back in, you know, when I graduated in medical school, as 1997. And I actually, uh, you know, went and started my residency um, at the University of Alabama in Birmingham thinking I was going to do pulmonary and critical care Mm. Medicine And nowadays, I believe that the field of cardiac electrophysiology has, one, been around for so long, and there has also been so many major advancements um, in the field that I believe at this stage, it, the awareness of the sub-sub-specialty by even medical students is much, much greater than it was when I was coming out. So that's the difference between then and now. How I ended up in the subspecialty was after I started my residency, I happened to be in a residency program at the University of Alabama in Birmingham that had at the time two uh actually three of the premier in kind of you know second generation founding fathers of electrophysiology um at the time and for years after even after i left there was dr andy epstein um neil k um vance plum in the clinical side and then on the research side dr ray eidecker and these were all leaders um not just in the United States, but in the world, in terms of the field of you know, cardiac electrophysiology. And so during my residency, I was exposed on my rotations um, through cardiology to these individuals. And it was during those um, times that I was exposed to them that I really fell in love with this field. And it was a combination of just the personalities of these um, mentors, as well as the field itself, um, it started off with just a high interest in understanding EKGs and not just, you know, the bare minimum, but understanding as much as you could and trying to def- decipher the different possible reasons for abnormal heart rhythms. You know, where were these heart rhythms coming from in the heart? And how did these, you know, electrophysiologists um, understand this information? So it really drew me uh, towards them. And then with many young physicians at that time, you know, there's always an event that occurs um, that really just, this is what I want to do. And that happened for me during my residency. One patient that was extremely ill, And it was um, an electrophysiologist who was mainly taking care of the patient in the ICU because she was having refractory um, ventricular tachycardia, but was too unstable at the time and with the technology that we had to undergo an ablation. So um, that really, you know, hit home because I was involved with her care as, as the resident. And so I just grew from that. And then I knew that by my second year of residency that I wanted to do cardiac electrophysiology. So I focused on that through my third year. And so when I finished my residency, I immediately was applying only to programs that, um, as you know, general cardiology that had um, electrophysiology fellowships at their programs.
0: Yeah. So a few months ago, Dr. Hines, I had the honor of speaking with Dr. Kamala Tamarisa, who is also a, an electrophysiologist practicing out of Texas. And um, she brought me back to the beginning um, in in practicing and just said that cardiology was definitely a male-dominated specialty. Do you still see that today? And have you seen a rise in the amount of women going into this specialty?
2: Uh, I don't know about going into it. I, in my travels, I have come across um, some female um, electrophysiologists. Actually, my co-fellow in fellowship was a female. She was an MD, PhD. And, um, but I still would say that... It's probably still a male predominantly oriented field. I do know that over the two decades basically that I've been in this field, there has been an advancement though, not only in the representation of females in the field, but also an emphasis, on um, not just in cardiovascular medicine alone, but also in cardiac electrophysiology and the, differences between men and women. Um, One of my mentors and attendings um, while I was at Penn State Hershey Medical Center was Dr. Uh, Wolbert, Deborah Wolbert. And she was very much involved both at the local as well as the national uh, level through the Heart Rhythm Society in advancing uh, both women in the field as well as the differences um, that should be made aware and taking care of patients um, based upon their gender.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: Interesting. Dr. Hines, you had mentioned that there's usually a defining moment in a physician's career when they have that aha moment that solidifies their decision to go into a particular specialty. However, if you were to speak with a group of general cardiology fellows who maybe were undecided about whether they just wanted to be a general cardiologist or do a fellowship. What would you say to them to encourage them to look into electrophysiology?
2: It has to do with their, a combination of, of their, their willingness to delay gratification, um, in the sense of it's, you know, additional years of training. Um, Also, it has to do with their God-given talents with their hands. Um, This is a subspecialty that is beyond or in addition to, you know, intelligence. Obviously, those fellows that are, you know, made it to the level of, their cardiology fellowships are intelligent people. Um, But it has to do with combining that um, intelligence and applying it in a procedural oriented field, because that is where the bulk of our time in our career is spent is actually in the EP lab doing procedures, whether that's implanting devices, now doing structural heart with you know, the left atrial appendage occluding device, or doing ablations, um, both simple and complex. You have to have decent hands in order to do that and to do, to do it well. And I've seen, unfortunately in, in my career, there are fellows that go into this field Super bright uh, individuals, and I'm not even uh, too proud to say much brighter than even myself. But when it came time to application um, in the lab, that's where it, it breaks down in, in many cases, where they just don't have the skill set to execute what they know is in their mind and make it happen. Um, in the EP lab and to, first of all, have a safe outcome, which is the absolute priority, then in my professional and personal opinion, success is is the secondary outcome. You know, first, you want to make sure that whatever you do, you don't do anything um, within your capability of causing harm. Um, And then, you know, you try to be then to achieve success and the reason you went in there in the first place, Um, because in my personal practice, I've always had the mindset that, and I've gotten, uh, I've had the opportunity and blessed to meet individuals in my profession that are more talented than I am. And so when I feel that you know, I've given it my best or upfront that given my practice parameters and level of experience and exposure to certain things, um, I may just defer and send these patients to somebody who I know is both very careful, but also can do the procedure with success and accomplish both goals. Right. And And unfortunately, um, you know, the level that a a fellow will know that it it sometimes is apparent at the, the level of the general cardiology fellowship. Um, and, and there are some, uh, sometimes it doesn't become apparent until they get into the fellowship that this may not be what they should do. Mm -hmm.
1: Just to play devil's advocate with you, I suppose, and I don't know if you would agree with me that one could say that, um, you, you had mentioned that you have to have good hands for and, and good skills with your hands for EP, which makes all the sense in the world. Could we also make that same blanket statement for interventional cardiology, the wire skills and things of that nature? And if that's the case, what would be your argument if someone was on the fence between, say, EP and interventional? Would it be lifestyle?
2: Uh, yes lifestyle if, if and they the the skill requirements for interventional cardiology is is just as important um and especially now with them um ex- getting very heavy into structural heart disease um with taver and with mitraclip, clip um and also with the left atrial appendage occluding device watchman um, it watchman and now the amulet that um that's really it, you know, still a deciding factor, but if the skill set is there, um, lifestyle between the two fields is definitely different, but also it has to do with interest. Mm -hmm. I knew from day one of my cardiology fellowship, I had zero interest in interventional cardiology, just did not care. I Mm. did what I, I, I did what I needed to do um, to understand the the at that time the level and what was involved because I do believe it makes you a better clinician to understand the process but um, when I, I I was a little different in the sense of when I started my general cardiology fellowship, one I already knew that I was going to be uh, doing electrophysiology and um, kind of not, not the rule, but, um, the way that the match system worked, but I had already been promised an EP spot, um, at the beginning of my general cardiology fellowship. Now it came with the stipulation that I had to do my general cardiology fellowship at the same place, Mm -hmm. but I knew when I signed on, um, and started my general cardiology fellowship, I had already been promised, um, a EP spot. Yeah, gotcha. It, it is a difference. There, um, you know, there are you know interventionists that would rather you know poke their eyes out than to be in the EP lab, oh, uh, wow. because it, it's just a, a very different um, uh, mindset um, between the two subspecialties. Hmm. For sure. Yeah. There's been. There's been some, and I'm sure there's more, but some of the notable, um, uh, type of examples where, um, the, the, there's a lot of, there's been, um, examples where, um, and these tend to be older physicians, um, that were, came out trained in interventional cardiology and then went back and did, um, electrophysiology, you know, um, I think he's retired now, but Dr. Seth Worley. um, Well, that name sounds familiar. Well, he invented the Worley catheter. um, And he was down at Lancaster General in in Pennsylvania. And he was originally and where he bridged um, his interventional skills that he had learned um, was in the field of uh, biventricular pacing and defibrillation, where the placement of the LV lead was. That was an absolutely brand new field um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And he did a lot of pioneering work um, in developing catheters and techniques for successful placement of the LV lead. And, and, you know, he um, was blessed with that skill set from knowing different interventional catheters and wires and things along those lines that, you know, an electrophysiologist would never have been aware of um, mm-hmm. because we just, you know, didn't have that exposure. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's kind of uncommon um, for an, an ele- you know, an interventionist to switch over to EP, but there are cases um, where uh, physicians have done that. And like I said, most notably, Dr. Worley was one of those. Interesting.
0: Dr. Hines, over the years, I'm sure you've had a lot of interesting cases. If you were to summarize one that stands out to you in your career so far, what one would that be?
2: Uh, yeah, there, there's been there's been quite a few over the years. Um, I would say that one of my most interesting EP cases was a middle-aged man who had um, a PVC induced non-ischemic cardiomyopathy was, you know, very symptomatic, probably, if I recall, a New York Heart Association functional class three. And his ejection fraction was definitely over a very short period of time leading towards, you know, an ejection fraction less than 35%. So, um, I saw ZKG and, um, you know, looked at it, recognized that this was most likely a papillary muscle, um, PVC and non-sustained ventricular tachycardia that we had documented on outpatient monitoring. And so I took him to the lab um, to ablate this. And this, Historically is a difficult PVC to eliminate with radiofrequency ablation because of catheter uh, stability at this location and um, a group of EP docs down I think in Brazil a number of years ago had written an article using cryotherapy um, with a fair high degree of success because it basically freezes to the location and, and it allows for a, a better lesion. So I had done one with um, cryo um, before, and so I said, "Okay, we're going to get ready to do this." Well, we had changed labs, we had we um, locations, and we were getting ready to go, and the cable for the cryo uh, uh, ablation console was missing. <laughs>
0: oh no. And
2: and I, you know, I was just like, Yo, you've got to be kidding me. And we're in the case. Um, mm-hmm. And so we switched over to um, RF and we uh, had um, also used the new HD grid mapping system with Abbott Medical, uh, which was just beautiful, that showed us the location. And with radio frequency and, and then with the use of intracardiac echo, um, we started off and I was able to um, suppress the PVC, but it would come back. And then finally, with just careful manipulation, I was actually able to, with intracardiac echo, literally wrap the ablation catheter around the papillary muscle. Wow. Uh, like a, a noodle around. Uh, you know a fork uh, and it came on rf that catheter didn't budge um and we were successfully eliminated that that pvc i had never you know uh with such um the ice images were um beautiful to show the catheter stability throughout the entire lesion um and then um, the pvc never came back and with follow-up um, over a year, um, still no recurrence, and his EF had returned to normal, and he was no longer symptomatic. So, um, so that was that was an extremely rewarding uh, case.
0: Wow, so
1: interesting.
2: Sounds very involved. It, it, yeah, it really. It, what was nice was, and it, it highlights um, a not, unfortunately, um, an uncommon. Uh, not common, but not uncommon scenario that comes up in any type of, of procedural related field where, you know, either something happens with the recording equipment, you got to troubleshoot it during the case, or in this case, you know, we thought we had, you know, everything that we needed for the procedure and we ended up not having it. Um, And so, it teaches you how to adapt. And what, that's one of the things, whether it's interventional cardiology, EP, interventional radiology, surgeries, you know, any of those type of fields, you get into something and um, an unexpected, um, you know, challenge comes up and you have to say, okay, if we're not going to harm the patient, we need to move forward, yeah. you know, the. And you know, sure. all that and the other that's gone on and you're there. And so, you know, you would do what you need to do to change course and you still come out with a, a successful case. And, and that's something that, you know, that you have to also with, with time learn how to, you know, accomplish that. Yeah. Think on your feet. Yeah, yeah. exactly. 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 Yeah.
0: And to me, that's gotta be one of the most interesting things about being a physician is that every case is so unique and there's a lot of thinking on your feet and a lot of collaboration with colleagues and um, left to center thinking that's involved in every single case. One thing I do wanna ask you, Dr. Hines, is if you had to go back to the beginning and you couldn't choose cardiology or electrophysiology what specialty do you think you would have chosen? A-
1: would you go back to the pulmonary critical care?
2: No, actually, no. Um, it's a very easy answer. Um, interventional radiology. Okay.
1: Good choice. Wow. Good choice.
2: Uh, I would do that. I would do interventional heart- radiology in a heartbeat. Um, in a lot of ways, it, 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 um, it bridges um, a lot of similarities between uh, interventional cardiology and um, EP in the sense of catheter placement, guide wires, um, you know, imaging a technology. Imaging technology, probably more over in the interventional cardiology side um, with regards to, you know, angiography um, and STEM placements, but that's, I would do interventional radiology if I could not do interventional cardiology or EP just so such a diversity
1: of cases where obviously EP you're you're focused on the hearts and interventional radiology could be literally anywhere.
2: Yeah, it can. And I, I was blessed. I, I, uh, I was actually as a medical student um, I, where I was located, I got to, and it was, he was, I don't believe he's practicing anymore, but Dr. Palma's stint, uh, or Dr. Palma's was um, who was the inventor of the stent. Um, was uh, still on staff in the uh, interventional radiology department where I was in medical school. And I got to watch him do um, a case. It was I was a medical student, and the patient was an ob patient with a bleeding complication. And the attending um, that was on was not having much success. <laughs> and so they called they call Dr. Paul Maas. And he just blew in, slapped on some gloves and gown and then da, 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 done and he walked out. Yeah. I mean, and so he what that was watching really the master yeah. at work. And so it was uh, it was it was an honor to be able to get to watch him uh, do his case. So interesting, so, yeah. 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 I would choose um, if I couldn't do what I'm doing now. Good choice
0: so dr heinz this question goes specifically to the residents and fellows that are doing the rotations and trying to figure out what they want to choose what it is that they want to go into um, and specialize in is there something that that like a feeling like a spark what is it that what advice could you give them to give them some clarity going through this, this part of picking what they're going to do for the rest of their career as a physician.
2: It's where they, they have the most interest and um, in where their real passion lies. I, I started off going to medical school thinking I was going to do orthopedic surgery and through um it's when i got to my clinical rotations that that changed and um i knew i wanted to do through before uh, a procedural related field um because i was uh, you know worked in my father's machine shop and i was very handy with my hands so i did want to do and i knew what way early on before medical school that it was going I wanted to do something along those lines um so then it became um you know either pulmonary critical care or gi act, b- believe it or not even after leaving a gra- you know graduating from medical medical school the last thing on my mind was cardiology wow <laughs> I didn't have any interest in it my I had I had friends graduating from medical school that knew they wanted to be a cardiologist and I would tell them absolutely no way did I want to do cardiology. So then it's the the, re, the then it was the rotations and the experience. So that um, you know, to answer your question, um, it's something that if the if the medical student hasn't you know made up their mind, don't panic because there's plenty of time to decide. Mm-hmm. And it will come, well you know, said, yeah. it, it will come. There will be something um, that comes along and um, will, you know, show, okay, this is what I really, really um, want to do. And there are opportunities at the medical school level to do a bunch of different things to try to find out what that is. That's built in. Mm-hmm if you know that's what you really want then you can actually start doing a lot of it and then that would answer your question okay yeah i really really this this i'm confirmed this is what i want yeah. or no. Oh, well then in residency there's that opportunity again because you're doing right. rotation through all these different subspecialties and so that opportunity again to either find what you want to do um, if you haven't found out already, or change your mind. I, there's not a lot of cases, but um, I, I don't know about from medicine to surgery, but I do know from when I was a resident, we had a couple of um, surgical residents switch from surgery to medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, that was back in the day when the pyramid system was still in existence. And I don't know if that still exists in surgery residencies or not anymore. But um, I tell you, those residents, um, because I was a senior resident when we had a couple come over from surgery, they were phenomenal. They made extremely good residents, Um, very bright, um, and then also extremely talented with their hands. Um, obviously. Um, So that does occur as well.
0: Wow. That's some great insight. So one of my favorite things about this podcast is the collaboration that it creates. And Dr. Hines has selflessly um, given us his email to put in the description. So if you are a physician listening and you want um, some advice or um, to collaborate uh, to talk about a case, if you are a medical student and you um, have some questions on electrophysiology and choosing that specialty, he has um, you know opened himself up to be available to you guys to answer any questions. So please don't hesitate to reach out to him.
2: I'm always yeah I, I'm always uh, you know interested in helping um, not just medical students or residents, but um, over my travels. I, you know, now I have 16 years of clinical experience under my belt. Um, I avail myself to young electrophysiologists as well Mm -hmm. uh, that are, you know, out there um, that, you know, maybe struggling or find themselves in situations that, you know, they didn't expect coming out of fellowship. Um, Because in my career, I've also built two EP programs from scratch. Um, And so you learn a lot by going through that as well. Um, And so, yeah, I've I've helped a lot of young electrophysiologists with just questions and then, yeah, residents and Mm -hmm. medical.
0: Yeah. And one of the most powerful things about this podcast, and this is what I, I think separates us from any others that are out there similar, is that. That connection that we are bringing, we've had doctors reach out to other doctors that have had similar cases um, for help, for collaboration. And that, to me, is, is priceless because, I mean, there's patients every day around the country needing help and doctors are seeing, you know, some doctors are seeing something for the first time that another doctor has seen multiple times. And by listening to this podcast, we're creating that connection. Um, and it's something that we value so deeply here. And, and that's one of the main reasons for this podcast.
2: Yeah. And I, I'm, I, I don't mind my email. I'm old school. I don't have any social media accounts.
1: Okay. Um,
2: but one of my friends, um, and he's actually, and it's really worked well, uh, Dr. Roderick Tung. Um, who's a, cardi- a cardiac electrophysiologist who is just rapidly uh, advanced uh, through the ranks and is, is now a star um, in the field um, on the international level. Um, and he actually um, really advanced his um, uh, career in the sense of, I'm out there by using social media. He'll have these really very, very interesting cases. And then immediately afterwards post it on Facebook or, or whatever. Um, and physicians are able to take, I, I've had many people say, John, you need to do the same thing. And I just, I'm like, no, I'm (laughs) old. Well, I, you know, for the listeners, I still have an AOL account. Yeah. That will give the people my simplicity
1: of age. And I I know, Dr. Hines, we're out of time, but it just sounds to me, Summer, like we're set up for another future podcast with Dr. Hines. Yeah. learn some more.
0: Yep. I agree.
2: Be my pleasure.
0: Well, Dr. Hines, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you do. We appreciate you. And um, we hope to get you back on the podcast real soon.
2: My pleasure. We appreciate yeah. your time. All right. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's it's oh, oh. something that I I really enjoy doing, and Mark will probably be able to know from some of our conversations that um, it, it really, as I've gotten older and have gone through things in my own personal life, it's really an opportunity that I value greatly to come into contact with people who um really are at a very vulnerable period of their life um, because they are sick. Um, and it, it's a, it really is a, a time and a, an opportunity and a relationship I treasure in getting to know these um, these patients.
0: Well, there's no hiding that. Um, you can absolutely tell. It shines right through you, Dr. Hines. So. Oh, thank you. And once again, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll make sure to be in touch. Appreciate
1: it, Dr. Hines. Bye. bye Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care.
0: Thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast could not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.